chapter 1, and we'll be looking today at verses 3 through 9. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I always consider it a great privilege to stand here before you. You see, for many years now, since 1994, Debbie and I have had the privilege of serving as your pastor, one of your pastors, and we've fallen in love with our congregation. There's something about praying for one another that attracts you to each other. You learn to carry one another's burdens and share in this journey together. Just a few days ago, we came back from Volgograd, Russia, and we had the privilege of being with our friends there. And it's a congregation we've been praying for as a church for 16 years because the work started 16 years ago. And it's exciting to see how God has moved in a marvelous way. But even as I arrived at the first church there, there was this relationship. You see, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. When we pray for one another, there's something that makes us attractive to one another. We're siblings. And what a privilege it is to encourage one another in the faith. Second Peter chapter one verses three through nine is one of those scriptures that encourage us encourages us in the faith. It says his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He is our resource. He is our strength. God has provided each and every one of us everything that we need to become all that He has created us to be. Do you see it there? His divine power. This is not the local attendant at the gas station who is providing you gasoline just so you can go 300 miles in your car. This is God Almighty. And God Almighty has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. He has provided you all the resources, all the tools, all the equipment you need to become all that He has created you to be. He has given you His resource, His Word, His Spirit, His strength to become all that He has created you to be for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. You see, it's through our knowledge of Him as we learn about who Jesus is and how He lived and how He gave us principles to live by. It's through our knowledge of Him that we become the person that He created us to be. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You see, it's not the attendant at the gas station. It's God Almighty, the maker of the universe. It's His goodness and His glory that provides us all that we need. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. Those promises are given to us in His holy word. Hide them in your heart. Cherish them. Claim them as your own. For God Almighty has given you 
His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Did you see that? God wants you to participate in something miraculous. God wants you to help you help you to become more than you ever hoped or dream of, dreamed of. You see, His ways are higher than our ways. His dreams are bigger than our dreams. God has something divine for you. Do you see it there in the Scripture? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. The old is gone. The new has come. He wants to transform our minds and to help us to become the children of God that He has created us to be and escape the corruption of the world caused by the evil desires. You see, God has given us all the tools, all the equipment, all that we need to escape the corruption of this evil world. You have no excuse. Oh, but I'm only human. But God is only divine. You see, He has given us and He wants to enter into a relationship with us that is indeed miraculous. He wants to transform us into the child of God that He created us to be. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Have you ever wondered, how can I be effective and productive as a Christian? Here are the keys. You see, as we seek all that God has for us, And we accept this divine appointment, if you will. We will not be ineffective. We will make a difference in our world. The truth is, every one of us is affecting someone every day of our life. Every decision, every choice that we make has an action and a reaction. Every choice you make affects someone else down the road. You say, oh, but it's just about me. It's, it's something behind closed doors. But it changes who you are and in essence affects everyone else in your sphere of influence. They will keep you from being ineffective. When we have these qualities, it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You see, we cannot simply accept Christ and stay the same. We must be changed. We must allow him to change us from the inside out to become the person he has created us to be if we're going to have the influence that he calls us to have. For we are all called, we are all sent We are all commissioned. 
Now, to get an understanding, a little bit big, broader understanding of this scripture, I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 16. In chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus poses a very important question to his disciples. He asked this, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? This is a question that he asked the disciples, but it's a question that is pertinent to us today. Who do the people say that I am? The question was, the disciples responded this way. They told him others were saying about him. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Others said he was Elijah. Others said he was Jeremiah. Others, one of the prophets. There was a lot of opinions about who Jesus was. Then he turns the question to them, but who do you say that I am? That question is given to us today. Who do you say that I am? Do you acknowledge that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? If you are acknowledging that, then you are tapping into the divine nature, to His divine power, to His resources. Is that true in your life? Is your life a testimony of who Christ is? Who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter understood who Jesus was. And he watched him there for those three years. And he traveled with him. And he heard him speak. And he watched him heal and care for the sick and the hurting and the broken. And he confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He believed that Jesus was both the Messiah and God. Jesus commends Peter. In verse 17, it says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice what else Jesus said to him in verse 18. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower. You are Peter, upon this rock, I, God, shall build my church in the gates of Hades. I'm afraid far too often we give Satan more credit than he's due. He has no power and authority over us as believers. He is a defeated foe. And the gates of Hades, you see it there, shall not overpower it. Now, Satan can throw darts at us and tempt us, but he has no power or authority over us. He can only stand at a distance and try to taunt us. But we have been given all the resources that we need for life and godliness. I I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. It makes me want to shout. God has provided me all that I need for life and godliness. He's left nothing undone. He has given me His Spirit, His strength, His power, His promises, and His Word. And He says to Peter, and there's a play on words here, 
The term Jesus uses for Peter is the word Petros in the Greek. It means small rock. And the term Jesus used for rock is Petra, which means huge, massive, large, prudential rock. Prudential rock. I thought that would get a laugh. (laughs) I know you're listening. I can tell. You see, this, it was the confession of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the foundation. So he says to Peter, I say to you, Peter, small rock, upon this rock, large rock, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, it wasn't Peter. It was the big rock. And the gates of Hades cannot overpower it. Peter had become the leader of a movement that would soon be known as Christianity. However, his vision for ministry was too small. So we find Peter in Acts chapter 10. Well, first there's a dream by by a guy named Cornelius. Actually, he sees an angel of God. Cornelius was a God-fearing Greek. And he and his family feared God. And they prayed to God regularly. They actually gave uh, alms to the poor. They supported the poor around them. They, they were men and women of compassion. And, and God heard their prayers. And he acknowledged their desire for him. And so he meets Cornelius with an angel of God and says, Cornelius, I've heard your prayer. Send for Peter. And so he sends his men to go get Peter. And on the day, they take him a day to journey there for Peter. That following day, as they're journeying, Peter also has a dream. We find it in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice of God spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You see, God is saying to Peter, your vision is too small. I am expanding your field of vision. I am broadening your sphere of concern. I am deepening your burden of responsibility. Just then, the, there's a knock on the door, and there's Cornelius's men, and they're asking for Peter. And Peter goes with them. And God does something miraculous. This gospel that was for the Jews is now for everyone. They were told to go out to the highways and byways in life and, and invite them in through the parables. And now the gospel was not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And Cornelius' family 
It was something miraculous. Peter standing there that day with Cornelius. You see, Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another. When that sheet was lowered down, I imagine that Peter was probably thinking of lox and bagels, not Italian food, not spaghetti and meatballs or spaghetti and caramari and clams. The food that was not a part of his dietary requirements. But God was saying to him, don't call that which I have made clean, unclean. And he was broadening his vision, giving him a greater burden of responsibility. Is it today that God wants to broaden your vision? You see, I think far too often we we find ourselves caught up in ourselves, in our own little world. And the world is so much bigger than us. And there are needs that are all around us. That's, that's one of the things I love about the church and the ability to be involved in, in the mission work in 155 world areas because we can have an impact around the world even though we're right here. And we can have more of a global mindset and we can participate in what God is doing locally as well as around the world. You see, that's why it was such a joy for me to go to Russia. For all these years, we've invested in our time, our talents, and our resources, not only right here, but we've invested in the mission work around the world. And to see what God is doing in another place is exciting and dynamic. And God was broadening the vision. It could be that God is asking big things of you. And you will only fulfill the purpose of God as you trust Him in faith for that vision that He gives to you. God is saying to Peter, your vision is too small. I am expanding your field of vision. I am broadening your sphere of concern. I am deepening the burden of your responsibility. Well, earlier we looked at First Peter, Second Peter, Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And Peter singles out three truths there in these verses that we've kind of already highlighted, and we'll bring those up again in the Scripture. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. First, those verses, verse 3, reminds us that we have divine resources. God has provided us all that we need. Second, we have received God's promises through His Word. Third, He reminds us that we are recipients of the presence of God. Although these facts are important, they are insufficient to lead us to spiritual adulthood or spiritual maturity. The missing ingredients is us. You see, God has provided us all that we need, but we must tap into the resources of God. We must daily put on His robe of righteousness. We must daily acknowledge His power, His strength in our lives. Verse 5 reminds us that God has given us all that we need to live spirit-filled 
Christ-like lives. It's up to us to apply His resources. Spiritual maturity can only be attained when the principles and commands of Scripture are diligently obeyed. Verses 5-7, through we find a standard for Christian maturity. Let us together just take a few moments to consider each of these virtues. The first is faith. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. We need faith. You see, God is God, and we need to rest rest upon that reality in our lives. Every day when I open a uh, newspaper, I, I see the evidence of who Christ is. On the top of that paper is a day and a date. Today is August the 16th, 2009. It's my birthday. Today I'm 52 years of age. And I don't feel it. And I love life. But every day that I write 2009, it's acknowledgement of who Christ is. Everything before Christ, B.C., points to His coming. Everything after Christ, A.D., reminds us that He was here. But for us to tap into His power and authority in our life, we must acknowledge by faith who Jesus is. We must come to that place of personal commitment where we surrender ourselves to Him at an altar of prayer or kneeling beside our bed and we confess our need of Him and we ask Him to come into our hearts and our lives. On this journey, it is a journey of faith. We must understand that God has provided us all that we need, but we have to continually tap in by faith, to the resources He has provided us. One of the miraculous things about all that is as we go on the journey, as, we, as He proves Himself faithful time in and time out, our faith increases. Because God will prove Himself faithful when you're obedient to His teaching and to His Word. Faith does not exempt us from works No, the generosity of God does not absolve us from effort. The key to becoming the person God has created us to be be is to discover we must cooperate with His divine initiative, with His divine grace in our lives through faith. To faith, we add seven other virtues. The first is goodness. The RSV translates this word as virtue. The Greek term here is a description of moral excellence or courage. Adding to your faith goodness is a commitment to conformity to the holy characteristic of Christ. I'm not talking here about moral excellence or goodness that is self-willed. I'm going to be a good person. No, I'm speaking about real, genuine, authentic goodness. Goodness that is, a, that is or at least should be a byproduct of an authentic relationship with the Holy God who loves us and wants the very best for us and who is transforming us from the inside out. Matthew 7, verse 17 says, Likewise, every good tree bears a good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. 
You see, when Christ is within, we begin to bear good fruit. He transforms us. He renews us. He helps us to become the person He has created us to be. What type of fruit do you bear? Is it fruit that leads to eternal life or is it fruit that leads to destruction? You see, we have to acknowledge that we cannot do this in our own strength. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us better than the other. We are redeemed and so we need to live like it. And we need to acknowledge that we are sinners, but God has provided us through His divine nature this opportunity for life and godliness. But it cannot happen because I try to be good. We must come to that place of surrender. We must come to that place of faith and believe that God will empower us to become all that He has created us to be. You see, it's this transforming of our mind. It's thinking on those things which build us in faith. The truth of God's Word. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Get your mind out of the gutter and get your mind on the things of God. If you want to be transformed and become the child of God that God has created you to be, you have to click off that site. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to turn your head away from that which is evil and turn your head towards that which is holy. Goodness. You see, intuitively we know that which is right and that which is wrong. God has given us His Spirit but we must be obedient to the leading of His Holy Spirit as followers of Christ. The second virtue is knowledge. The Greek term for this virtue does not refer primarily to intellectual knowledge or pursuits, but focuses essentially on application of divine truth, application of the Word of God on our lives. You see, this, of course, is, is all encompassed under, the, um, under discernment. God will give us discernment. You know, in our former state, we were ignorant of the things of God. But when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, He transforms us and He opens the Word of God to us. I don't know if it was this way for you, but when I accepted Christ as a teenager, before then, I I really didn't understand. Maybe I didn't have the desire for the Word. But after I accepted Christ, there was this hunger and thirst for the things of God. And God began to reveal Himself to me in His written Word. You see, before I was ignorant to the things of God. But when I accepted Him as my Savior, He opened the Word of life to me. First Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you, were, when you lived in ignorance. You see, we are the redeemed and we should not live as we did when we lived in ignorance. As believers in Jesus Christ, we must create a space where obedience to truth is practiced. We do that in worship. We do that in Sunday school. We do that through our children's department and our youth department. We endeavor as a body of believers to create a space where we encourage... And obedience to truth. 
and obedience to knowledge, true knowledge based in God's word. So that we can stand approved when tempted. So that we can not argue our faith, but understand our faith. A safe place where ideas and principles of God's word is encouraged and and practiced. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the knowledge of God is essential to our growth and to our understanding of who He is in our lives. So we must study the truth. We must have knowledge of who He is and how He has equipped us. The third virtue is self-control. The ability to maintain a grip on our lives. When I was a young teen, when I accept, after I accepted Christ even, I still dealt with issues of jealousy, anger. You know, I'd get mad over stupid things. I remember once being jealous over a girl and I punched a wall. And after I punched the wall and I hurt my hand, I thought, how stupid is that? And yet, because of my immaturity, and not only as an individual, as a teenager, but also my immaturity as a Christian, I did not have control. And self-control is getting a grip on what God has provided us in faith. And you know, the Lord began to deal with me, and I became became more and more patient over the years. I still at times would get angry over situations. There was that righteous indignation. I remember once we were at West Carrollton and, and uh, in the Dayton area, and this guy got out of his car, and he was kicking in this woman's door. Bam, bam. He's like four cars up. And I couldn't help myself. I got out of the car, and I started walking to this, towards this guy. Said, what are you doing? My wife says, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car. It was already too late. It just... Quick to respond. Over the years, the Lord has dealt with me in these areas. Teenagers often felt like I was very patient. They felt like, uh, but they knew when they pushed me too far. But the reality was, when I started ministry, they pushed me to the edge. And I'd lose control. And I wasn't in control. They were. And I heard... uh, an illustration by James Dobson at one point. He said, you know, if a teacher is pushed to the place where she's out of control, he's out of control, the student is in control. And you need to learn to draw the line out here. And so I began to learn tools for self-control. And I drew the line out here. So a student would push to that line, and that was where, it was, that's all the father you're going. And it became a game with me, actually. Because I knew that I was always in control. I was in charge. They thought they were in control, but the reality was I was in control. Why? Because I drew the line out here. This is all the Father, you're going to push me. You see, we learn tools for self-control, but the Holy Spirit gives us the power to get a grip, to have self-control. The fourth one is perseverance. Paul talks about running the race with endurance. The fifth one is godliness. We are to pursue true piety, our attitudes and our actions. This quality has two dimensions. It corrects sincere reference toward God and a faithful and humble service towards others. We are to put on godliness. 
Yesterday we had a wedding here for Erica and Nick, Erica Knox and Nick Gerald. It was exciting. It was fun to be a part of it. And I talked to them about the parable of the wedding banquet. And in that story, there was a story about an individual who showed up without wedding clothes. And of course, the story is really about putting on God's garments of righteousness. And today, their tuxedos will be returned and the wedding dress will be hung up. And I challenge them, as those things are put aside daily, pick up the garments of righteousness. And God challenges us to put on the garments of godliness. It's not our strength, it's His strength. Let's finish this out. I've run out of time. I've taken too much. Let's go. The next verse. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Again, I talked about our trip to Russia. There was this reality that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And to brotherly kindness, love. He's talking about an agape love here. A love that is greater than all the rest. A love that says, not because of what you do or what I've done, but I just love you because God loves me. Let's read the last part of that verse. And then we're going to close. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in increasing measure, you see, we should be continually growing in the faith. They will keep you from being ineffective. You want to be effective in the kingdom of God? Practice these qualities. Allow God to strengthen you in this way. And unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Where are you today? Are you jumped in? Have you dove into the pool today? Are you all in in faith? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Have you acknowledged Him as your Savior? Are you tapping into the power of His resources? If you're not, today is the day of salvation. He provides you all that you need to live this life. It may be, you might be saying, Rex, I tried, but I failed. But did you trust God? You see, He provides you all that you need. And today is the day of salvation. The altar is open and we invite you to come. It could be that you're here and you've been on the journey of faith, but you've not really tapped into His resource. And you're tired of being ineffective and unproductive. And you want to become all that God has created you to be. We're going to stand and we're going to sing whatever it is that Pastor Edgar has laid on his heart. And the Lord speaks to you. Come. Come.
teaches us how we ought to live. Help us, Lord, daily to tap in to the resources provided for us through faith. You have provided us all that we need for life and godliness. Help us, Lord, to be effective and productive in the kingdom business. And we ask this in the wonderful, blessed name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.